All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Anglers Happy Hour podcast. It's just been barely over a week, so we're doing pretty good here. Um, although you don't get all three tonight. We had it lined up for last night. Rob, Nick, I, and our uh, good buddy Dave is a guest. Uh, things fell apart, so three of the four here tonight anyways. Nick, Dave, and myself. We'll get to Dave here in a little bit, but um, for today's intro... Um, it's just going to be Nick and I, so hope you all have had a, a good week. Let's see what Nick's been up to. What's what's good your way, dude? What's up, man? It's good to talk to you twice in a month. This is like 2021 style. It's like, go us. No doubt. But uh, we all know Rob never brings any fire in the intro anyways, so it's kind of like, you know, here we go, just uh, you know, lighten up the scoreboard without our b string so it's all yeah good. and if, if you guys stick around too through the interview you'll see some deep dark secrets about rob's past <laughs> come yeah out. no so doubt i think uh, sure we're just gonna we'll leave a little clue it has a little bit to do with water dogs and night crawlers <laughs> the fbi will be showing up to <laughs> repossess the hardware that he hangs proudly in his office from yep. 1997 <laughs> yep yep <laughs> uh, <laughs> Let's get you away. It's been good, man. I think uh, when we talked last time, all I did was ramble about my escapades in Mexico and forgot to say that, uh, <clears throat> well, two exciting things. Uh, one happened this week and then one funny thing that happened. But uh, the Vans and Vasectomies, um, Town of Gilbert Men's Rec League, uh, basketball champions for the winter season, got my nose broken in the semifinals. What? Shot blood all over the court like a true warrior i looked like i came out of that 300 movie uh that came out all those years ago i dude it was just it was glorious it was uh you know i've had a lot of amazing accomplishments in 35 years but absolutely the crowning accomplishment was raising that banner high for the uh, town of gilbert men that's awesome you know, dude congratulations yeah thank you it's you know we earned it we put in a lot of time and a lot of beers were drank and but, uh, you know, true commitment always delivers. So that was pretty exciting. But breaking my nose. How's was, it doing? Uh, well, it's grown back. It's good. This was a couple weeks ago now. So it just it's it's crooked now. So my glasses sit kind of weird, but I wear like a badge of honor. Is it really a little? Is, it got off center, dude. Dude. It's amazing. I got smoked. You know, I, I'm such a lover, not a fighter. I had never been punched in the face. And I was pretty proud of that. I've never... Like all the inappropriate things I've said over the years, I've never elicited a punch. <laughs> that in is the face. surprising. Yeah. I know, right? Of all the most punchable faces on planet Earth, mine's right up there. And uh, so I took a, I took one from like the biggest guy on the other team. We we're getting a little physical, and I took an elbow right in the dome, and uh, <laughs> I was Dude. sneezing blood for like days after it. But I survived, That's... man. And you know, number forty three goes hard. That's pretty brutal. Well, dude, congrats. Yeah, at least you uh constantly your constellation prize was winning. So I got uh, a t-shirt. Yeah. But uh, you know, the blood? next thing, uh, well, the t-shirt came later after I had okay. finally stopped the bleeding, but I had like three rolls of toilet paper shoved up both nostrils to finish strong. Um, but speaking of things exploding and spraying body fluids everywhere, uh, we've had some adventures in Missouri this week. Oh and, no. Uh, we uh we we put a new home in one of our communities out there in, in our trailer park. And uh one of the people that I never hear from, they pay on time, they've been super cool. She's calling me and I'm like, wow, that's crazy. I never hear from her, and I'm sure she's not calling to wish me happy Easter. So I pick up and she's like, 
you know, it's just like so weird. We we can hear this like gurgling sound and our sewers and our toilets are not flushing right. And our we just having sewer issues. And I think it has to do with that contractor that's working next to us. And, uh, you know, what's what what can we do about it? And it's like, all right, cool. Yeah, thanks for being level headed about it. So we had a roto router go out there and <laughs> somehow there had become such an incredible blockage in the sewer line <laughs> that you know, 17 trailers had been flushing and just compounding and building this beautiful bomb of feces that uh, <laughs> when the poor guy went to the clean out and cracked the seal, dude, apparently <laughs> it shot human excrement like an exorcism. <laughs> I was like, God, I wish I would have been there just to witness, oh my God, witness the, the old faithful geyser of human excrement. But uh, we survived it. I thought for sure we had a cracked sewer line and we had just literally suffered mightily through financially suffered mightily through a cracked sewer line about a month ago. And so I thought, Oh God, here we go again. We're going to lose like three months of <laughs> revenue fixing this. But luckily it was hey, just props to you for like, I, I mean, you, you've gone all in on this, on this trailer park deal. I think it's hilarious that there probably have been, we've been doing this podcast for two years, dude. And there have probably been five or six stories about human feces that you've told. Dude. It's unbelievable. Dude, I know. I don't know why human feces is such a, like, I'm going to start doing like a YouTube training course on how to lose money and suffer mightily in that industry. And it all just flushes down the toilet and then shoots out one of the clean outs. There you go. Yeah. There you go, good, man. It means good. something. I, I had a plumber, a tenant and a contractor call, call calling me at the same moment with the same version of, you know, three versions of the same story. So Oof. yeah, broken noses and, and poop bombs are what's going on here. How about you, man? You, uh, uh, tournament you, bombs uh, for me, dude. Yeah. yeah. So I had, bombs. yeah, I had a turn, nice tournament bomb, um, you know, to continue a rough start to this season. So I, I, you know, it is what it is. I, I had a, I learned a lot last week. We fished Lake Murray. Um, you know, I've been fishing for 11, 12 years, full-time national tournaments, but this was the first tournament that I've ever fished that was in the middle of a herring spawn on a herring lake. And mm -hmm. uh, really, dude, it. Um, I'm not going to dive super deep into the tournament, but um, I had kind of gone in to the tournament to really bed fish. That was kind of going to kind of be my thing. Yeah. I spent the majority of my practice bed fishing, looking for beds, marking them. Tournament came around. The guys crushed them so good in the first period, and I knew it was all on the herring spawn. I just okay. freaking failed on everything I had been doing <laughs> through all of practice and went looking for the herring spawn and uh, fell flat on my face that day. Fell flat on my face. Um, had a little bit better today the second day, but not nearly good enough. So I went home early. Um, dug myself a big hole, which isn't uncommon. It's it's pretty common for me to dig myself in a hole and have to dig myself out of it. And I usually can by the end of the season, but um, I got my work cut out for me. So long story short, I'm home for uh, about one more week. I'm headed over to Heavy Hitters um, in Louisiana next week. Um, the one highlight of that trip to Murray was our buddy Mark Walker, who we've talked about on the podcast, <laughs> our ride or die buddy Mark Walker, one of the coolest dudes on the planet, lives in Alaska. And I see him more than I see Nick and Nick sees him more than he sees me. I mean, Mark, he literally shows up. I, I idled into the dock, dude, after a rough day. And, uh, you know, there's people everywhere. 
And there's a guy on the end of the dock and he goes, Bertrand. And I went, Hey man, what's up? And I just yeah. throw it into reverse and start going the other way. And I look back <laughs> and I went, son of a gun. That's no Mark. idea that he's going to be there. No, dude. I had no idea he was coming. And I had no idea that was him for a minute. Like I would I would never expect my friend from Alaska to be standing 6, on the dock in South away. Carolina after the day of fishing, dude. So I was like, Mark, I I I right back up, dude. And he ended up, dude, they were headed to the Masters. They had flown from Alaska that day. They were driving <laughs> to Augusta, Georgia. This was kind of on the way through. And it's already late. And he's like, and oh, dude, I'm sick too. I'm like... I'm really sick. I don't know what happened. I had got some nasty bug, dealt with it all at practice in the tournament. I'm in rough shape, right? And uh, he's like, what are you going to do now? I'm like, man, I think I'm going to go to sleep. Sleep for 11 hours. <laughs> sleep this day off, sleep this cold off. He's like, well, dude, where where's your house at, man? Do you want to go have a beer or something? I'm like, I can't say no to Mark, man. So he followed us in the opposite directions, 30 minutes backwards, hung out for a while. And then, then, and, and that night he's like, yeah, we're going to Hooters to see John Daly before, uh, before the masters tomorrow. So, uh, dude, props to Mark. I hope you're listening, dude. Thanks for coming to see me. I told him like, Hey, this made my week, man. It made my season. So dude, big he's the shout most out to Mark. Seize the moment mother effer on the planet, dude. Like, he will just, he's just one of those ride or dies. He'll drop everything and show up on a moment's notice and just like, yeah, that guy lives in the moment. He's an inspiration. Oh yeah. It was cool, man. It was cool. He's been living in Alaska, not bass fishing much for like the last six or seven years. And it's crazy. The things that changed, he was going through my boat, dude, and looking at, looking at the boat and the tackle. And he's like, dude, this wasn't around. This wasn't around. What's this? What's this? It's just crazy to see how fast the sport's evolving. Right. Because Mark was really, really into it yeah and then you just step away for you know six seven eight years and it's like holy crap dude it's all different again already like a vertical yeah vertical angle of progress yeah he's that friend and i'm sure anyone who's listening instantly knows this person or those people like on instagram and your messages side that every time when you get on instagram you'll have three or four messages there of the most random hilarious like 10 second clips to watch like i've seen some of the funniest stuff it's like where did you even like how did this show up from like the most inappropriate to fishing related to like everything it's like he's that guy for me like i always know i'm gonna get a laugh when i see something from him and it's it's daily and it's just it's so good he went on that adventure you know this a couple years ago and all of a sudden i planned a trip to falcon lake in seven minutes sent a group text to like six people thinking no one was going to come the guy from alaska gets on a plane and does a 32 hour (laughs) road trip of course dude it's unbelievable yeah unfazed yep yep and it's funny so i didn't know i haven't talked to you i didn't know all the nitty-gritty behind it because he texted me randomly he's like do you know anything about this tournament? You know, what, what, and I was like, well, I don't know, dude, like occasionally I tune in and watch, like, I don't know. I had no idea that he was like physically standing there just waiting. <laughs> oh yeah. Dude. Awesome. It was hilarious. So cool. I don't know. And I don't know how long he was there. He posted some pictures and it was a ghost town in the po- parking lot. So he, <laughs> dude, God knows maybe he was there for three hours before we all came in, dude. But uh, it would have awesome. been amazing if you would have just big tied him and drove away and made him like text you and be like, dude, that was me. Well, yeah, he was probably thinking like, what the hell, dude? Like, <laughs> yeah, asshole. But, yeah, it just, I mean, it, it just took a minute to register. I said, 
wait no you still have his big old mustache oh yeah 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 it's so great (sighs) yeah yeah so that was cool um but yeah other than that just getting ready to keep moving forward and uh get ready to uh you know get things where in louisiana direction uh, it's on Caney Creek Lake. It's a okay. phenomenal lake. Not That's real a sick big. lake, right? It's an absolutely sick lake, and the fishing should be really good. So um, I'm stoked. Uh, we've got a great interview today, guys. It's our So this is our buddy Dave Stahowski. He lives in southern Arizona, and uh, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you guys he has legitimately won over 100 legitimate, you know, bigger team tournaments in Arizona, a hundred shooting at low. This dude has won more than anyone else I know. And uh, he's not a big social media guy. Um, Probably the first podcast he's ever done, but it was really, and he's a really good friend. I mean, he's one of my best buds. I've known him for a long, long time, but, and we don't talk a lot about nitty gritty, like, technical fishing stuff but we talk a lot about like mentality and mindset and how to win tournaments so whether or not you care about the fishing in arizona it might be worth listening uh to this interview because uh just listening to the way that dave thinks and approaches tournament fishing is uh it's like invaluable advice and it's it's advice that i got early on advice he something he had to learn himself early on but uh I think it was pretty neat. You agree, Nick? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, it's just everything you said. And then I will also add to it that uh, you'll never look at a drive through the same. And the next Krispy Kreme donut you eat will taste differently, too, I'm sure. So we'll leave you with that cliffhanger to know that uh, there's a couple of surprises in store and a good interview with a fantastic fisherman. All right, guys. Well, hope you guys enjoy. Thanks again for tuning in. And here's. All right, Dave. So we talked about you uh, quite a bit in the intro, but, um, you know, for any of the uh, listeners that, well, if you live in Arizona and you fish tournaments, you know who Dave is. But if you don't live in Arizona or you don't fish tournaments, our guest today, Dave Stahowski, uh, one of my really, really good friends. Uh, we've been we've been pals for, gosh, a long time. Pro- how long, Dave? 15 years? How old are you? I'm 34, and we talked about this earlier. I'm 34, and I've known Dave since I was 16. 16 so, so, wow, 18 almost, years. almost 20 years. Almost um, 20 years, yeah. Crazy. But uh, so Dave is, you know, we've, we've been friends for a long, long time. Dave is one of the most dominant tournament anglers that the state of Arizona has ever seen. Um, and, and honestly, as far as like a, a, a level that he's fished on, it's – there there probably aren't a lot of guys around the country that have won as much as Dave has won in the local circuits over the last 20 years, uh, 25 years. So we'll go a lot deeper into that, but um, one of the most dominant Arizona anglers there's ever been. And uh, you've got a lot of good stuff to share with listeners. Um, you kind of do it your own way. You do it a different way. And I think this will be uh, a little bit of a, uh, a different angle of an interview. So I think I, I've really been looking forward to it. Um, I know Nick, uh, you've known Dave for a while as well. Um, we've donated some of our money together to Dave. Uh, <laughs> oh, and uh, we've beat him a couple of times too, but yep. I think he's got more of ours than we've got of his anyways. But um, what's going on your way tonight, Dave? What's, what's good? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's 
I mean, we could go back and like 18 years is a big time, right? And like for me, just knowing you back then and us kind of connecting in the beginning and kind of being rivals in a way, but watching you grow and then the respect that we had for each other, I think really helped both of us. And for sure. I mean, it, it really became a big brother, big, you know, little brother kind of situation where, man, I just, I mean, I love you to death literally from the beginning of and watching you do what you do and knowing what you do and so proud of it and, and showing everyone that you've done it the right way. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to explain in words, but. Thanks, man. I mean, I, it's really mutual, dude. It, it really is. And it's funny that you talk about like, like obviously rivalry can be used however, but like, Dude, I, I definitely remember showing up to these tournaments, um, you know, it's still now, but especially back in the day. And it was like, well, if you can beat these guys, you've got a really good chance to win. Right. And uh, there are probably times when we were both saying that. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's hard to explain for people to really know, but. I mean, you've been so. Like you kind of lived my, your life through me. In a way, like back in the day, I was young like you. I was 16. I was 18. And I started fishing. And I wanted to be the pro bass fisherman, right? I mean, that was my dream. And my my parents didn't support it. I, I didn't have the finance behind it. But I wanted what did to your be parents that guy. Say, Dude, so what did your parents say about this? Were you like, I got to, you know, I got to get a bass boat. I got to fish these tournaments. You can make so much money. They're like, no, dude, that's. No clue. They had no clue. Literally no clue. And, you know, I see other people like John, you know, John Murray, his family supported him from the beginning and gave him something to start on. My my parents never did that, yet I wanted to be like that. So I did everything I can to get there. But, you know, when you're 16, 18 years old, you have no money coming in and it's just the way it is. And you have these big aspirations. But luckily for me, like Rob's not on, on here right now, but Rob was a big influence to me. Because when I really got into it, Rob was dominating. Just like Mark Kyle was dominating. Uh-huh. They and were the big dogs, dude. They were the big dogs. And they fished with, Mer you know, John obviously was the big the guy who kind of brought them on. But they both made their mark on their own, which I totally respected. And I became really good friends and close to both of those guys. And like Mark kind of, you know, kind of being with him through this whole experience was he lived that life for a year or two and then realized I don't want to do that. It's not for him. He had other influences and I remember him telling me, he's like, dude, this is kind of a life of a misery in a way. Not very many people make it. Some do, some don't. Everyone else wants to, but not everyone does. And I'm traveling all the time. I'm spending all this money. I'm at this lake. I don't know anything about it. And that kind of like brought it more center to me where I'm like, I don't want to do that either. Even though I thought I did. How old were you at the time where you were realizing this? Still in my early twenties, man. Yeah. Like way before you even, you know, sure. kind of realized yep. it. Yep. But you're different. You know, you had that. I mean, you had the skill way above all the rest of us. And 
the way to approach everything. But yeah, I mean, it was just kind of one of those things where he was like, it's a life of misery for most of these guys. Like 90% of these guys live off credit cards, hoping to make that next big check so they can go to the next tournament. And, you know, it's just, I hear these horror stories after one after another and then no savings, no 401k, no retirement. And at that time I wasn't married. I had no kids. So I kind of related to like, okay, who cares? But then, you know, it kind of all turned at some point. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of sacrifice that goes on behind the scenes, right? I mean, it's, it's all glitz and glamor when you're on top, but there's plenty of time when you're not, I'm sure. It's a real weird deal. I mean, I, I, there's, there's a lot of different sports that you can kind of like single, single person sports that you can compare it to. And some people have had a great life, made a great living, had so much fun, but that's the super minority. Right. And, (laughs) uh, you know, it's for me so far, it's been good, but you're right, Dave, like there's for every success story. And it's still, I'm still very early in the game too. You know, I've got a lot of fishing that I still need to do, but, uh, Man, for every success story, the guys that have successful 30-year careers, there are hundreds or thousands that it didn't end <laughs> yeah. nearly Absolutely. as well. Yeah, I mean, you compared to a different professional sport where someone signs a contract, NFL, NBA, MLB, and they get paid their millions regardless of they perform or not, they get injured or not, and they're guaranteed it. Fishing and golf, to me, are the same. It's a perform-to-pay kind of sport. Sure. I mean, if you don't have results, you don't get that check at the end of the day. And yeah. if you struggle and you have your you know, your downtimes, which everyone has, your ups and downs, and if you rely on your income, on your performance, what are you going to do? But luckily for me, I've never been in that boat. Well, that's good. I mean, as as you know, that it's like, I, I've always had a good career and a good job. And I do this for other reasons, but you know, I see so many people fail or succeed on this topic. And I mean, it's, it's, it's just a whole different world. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about that then. You know, you talk about, you do it everyone fishes for their own reasons. And and we've talked about it a little bit in the past. You know, some of the folks listening, they like to fun fish because it's relaxation for them. Some of the folks listening um, are diehard competitors and they do it because they're competitive people Uh, and and there's everything in between. But like, like what does uh, for you, most of the fishing you do is tournaments, dude. It's pretty interesting because like you actually, you've got, you've been fishing your whole life and you you've spent tons of time on the water but you're not a guy that fishes 150 days a year like you actually fish probably less than um you know some of the folks listening you show up and you fish these tournaments dude like what how many days a year do you think you fish and uh what does uh, like what is your what a meaning does fishing have to you so that's kind of a loaded question, but if I can kind of start the beginning, it all starts at Patagonia Lake. 
And what I mean by that is growing up here in southern Arizona and wanting to be a fisherman, Patagonia has everything anyone could offer. Like it has deep water, shallow water, it has grass, it has tules, it has woods, it has islands, it has humps. I mean, you name it, right? So for me, that's where it all started. And there's many people, I think, who's been successful because of that, con- you know, that concept. Um, again, my parents weren't having any money. I had to earn any, anything on my own. I went to, this is a crazy story, but I went to the Greyhound dog track when my grandparents from Buffalo were here. Go Bills. Sorry, Patriots. Yeah, dude. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's their time. But anyway, they can have it. Uh, but anyway, um, they were here to visit, and we went to the Greyhound dog track, and I just did some random bet where I picked one, two, three, and four, and it hit. And I got like $800 out of it on a $2 oh, so bet. Dave got hooked on gambling early on, dude. That's where the tournament <laughs> I don't, fishing I don't gamble, came from. Though. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't dude, gamble. you do on the water. <laughs> tournament fishing. On the water. Yeah. So I got that money. I bought a Coleman Crawdad boat okay. online with the little Minn Kota motor and a battery. And that's what I did. I was like 19 years old. And my parents gave me a little Ford Ranger pickup truck. Total stick shift. Nothing powered. Nothing. Power, no power steering. No power brakes. Just the worst thing in the world. And I would just throw that little green Coleman Crawdad in the, in the bed. And I'd go to Patagonia, and I back then I I kept my fishing logs, right? Like most of us did in the beginning, the day we fished, what we did, how we caught them. And that year I had fifty three days to Patagonia by myself, there and back. It, it had nothing nice. else to do with any other lakes, and it was just kind of like I'd go on July. I mean, I literally went one day on Fourth of July, right, the hottest day in the world. From sun up to sun down, like That's how many hardcore. hours is that? Dealing with all the idiots at the lake that day. Yeah, everyone's at the beach, and it's just partying. That's just me. I mean, that was kind of like how I learned to fish, and it kind of got that mindset of, "All right, I like this lake, cool." And then I joined the bass club, and I joined that bass club, and then I got destroyed because. I didn't know how to fish for big fish. I fish for numbers, which I'm sure you have some. This is where on. listeners need to start uh, taking notes for sure. <laughs> so you were getting beat because you were just going out and trying to catch fish. Yeah. I didn't but you weren't targeting big fish. Absolutely. I was out there drop shot. And I, I'm sorry. Not Don't you dare shot. talk bad about drop shotting, dude. Yeah. This podcast knows- will be over. Yeah. Does anyone know what a split shot is? That's what I used to do. I would split shot with literally a split shot in a little four-inch worm and drag it in places, and I would catch fish, and I would catch fish, and then that's literally, I mean, this is this ages me, but that's when power bait came out, like the first couple years. Nice. So there, there was a four-inch power worm, the power craw, which you can't ever get the original. I wish I could. And it was just like crazy. I mean, that lake was awesome. You catch 40, 50 fish a day or a night. 
But you'd come in and you would get destroyed by these guys with three big fish or five big ones. And you're like, God dang it. And then how many times does, does it have to happen until you realize I'm doing something wrong? And that's when my brain kind of flipped to, I need a fish to win and not just fish for fun or numbers. And nice. it doesn't matter what their technique was, but majority of it was going in those toolies and as deep as you can get, you know, everyone would go along the toolies and they did flip to the edge or fish the wood. But man, you flip over those toolies another five, 10 feet, which when you watch people do it, looks ridiculous. But that's where those fish are because they're not pressured. That's where they live. That's where they're hiding. And that's where my mindset finally came to. I need to fish that way. That makes me think of uh, when Aaron Martins won that elite series a hundred years ago at Havasu and he was in the river, right? And wasn't that what he was doing was just bombing <laughs> with the, <laughs> with the bird. Yeah. yeah. Right. Remember with the birds, the bird eaters. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, remember and, that now. So, and, and I mean, it makes a lot of sense, Dave, what you're talking about. Um, you know, uh, one, one thing that these guys are doing too, is they're, they're doing something to differentiate themselves from the rest of the pack, right? You got 40, 50 boats that show up and fish this tournament, and it's real easy to just fish the edge of the Thule's. And it's a real hassle because you're getting, it's hard, you know, three out of four cat flips. You don't even hit the water. You're getting hung <laughs> up. You're losing the fish that you do hook. It's a real hassle. But these guys found a way to differentiate themselves from the rest of the pack. And, uh, and that's why they were winning tournaments. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just like the same guys. And it's almost like the way it is now, right? There's you always have... going to be those three, four, five guys that, exactly. that are the guys to beat. Yeah. And they have their way to do it. Just like me and my partner have our way to do it. And it comes from that experience, I think, at Patagonia, which, I mean, it really... I mean, people see online that these big weights, but they don't realize it's you fish all day for three bites to, to weigh 18 or 20 pounds. It's not easy there. For and sure. It's packed and it's crazy, but it really sets you up for the other lakes where you go. And it's like, not that it's easy, but it's easier. And as you guys know, People are going to fish for numbers. They're going to do their techniques. And, you know, like me and you have talked a ton of times, most people want to fish for numbers and they want to fish for schooling fish. Right. Sure. And that's the easy thing. Catching a lot of fish, man. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You see them on the graph, yeah. there's a million fish and you drop a drop shot or you drop your ice jig and one after another, one after another. But the reality, are you going to win? Most likely not, but you might catch a seven here or an eight here. It's going to happen. I mean, there's always that mixed bag out there, but consistently year after year, it's not going to happen. So makes sense, dude. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. And, and, uh, I, t I talk about you a lot. I bring you up, you know, when I'm taking 
I do a lot of guide trips where I take clients that want to get into tournament fishing. And um, I bring you, you and your partner up a lot, dude, because you guys are truly like, you're not afraid to go out there and, and bomb. You know, now it's different for me when I'm on tour and I bomb, dude, I have a lot of consequences to a bomb like I had last week. Like I have, like there, there's real um, pain that I feel when I have a bomb. But if you're fishing a, a team tournament, if you really want to give yourself a good chance to win, you can't be afraid to not weigh in a limit or, you know, have a bad tournament. You know, you might, you might finish in the bottom 20%, you might blank a couple of times through the course of the season, but you're also setting yourself up to finish first place a couple of times throughout that season. Whereas if you're too afraid to not weigh in a limit, you're afraid that you're going to bomb, you never really fish freely and, and ballsy enough to win. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, every time we win a tournament, there's this conception that we've just threw back two, three, four, five pounders all day, but it's never the case. I mean, in our biggest wins, we caught five fish or six <laughs> fish, right? It's, it's so, it's so hard on you mentally to, to fish, but it's, yeah. That's like, why it's why you win. It's, it's almost insanity in a way. And we talk about it. It's like no one else is dumb enough to do this, but we do it. Like we sit out. I mean, we go hours without a bite, but man, when I can find where they are and I can figure it out and all of a sudden it's like, boom, 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 boom. Like one day we weighed, I think 25, 26. And it was like, we started at one of the ramps at the lake and throwing little key tech jigs and stuff. And, Oh, it was okay. It was cold. It was actually it was really cold, but um, it was like a February deal. And, you know, we caught a bunch of 12, 13 inches, 14 inches, a three pounder. And there was like 10 boats around us just watching us catch fish that mean nothing. Right. And then we went to go do our thing. And between like an hour, hour and a half period, it was like, we caught a four and a four, a five, and a six and a six. Like our next five fish went 25 something pounds. And I was like, this is ridiculous. It's, no, no, it that's was, a rare occasion that it came easy, dude. It was like 17 degrees that morning. We were at Spring <laughs> Creek. Jeez. We were at Spring Creek and the pipes were bursting at the campground areas because it was so cold. It was like geysers blowing up in the air. And here we are out in the lake freezing. And it was just one of those things, boom, 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 boom. And then it's like second place was like nine pounds. It's like, but we had those five bites that mattered. Sure. And that was it. It was nothing more than that. And it was one of those and magical those moments. That it just happened, you know? Sure. <laughs> It's pretty funny. Like if you look back at, um, you know, tournament results, it, I mean, it wouldn't be an uncommon season for Dave and his partner, Greg, to have fish, maybe a circuit with six tournaments. Their results would be something like first, second, 78 out of 80, <laughs> second, first, 
and 79 out of 80. It's it's really it's because they it's because that's that's their style of fishing and it's it's really unique. But I mean, man, they've by the end of the season they've won a lot more money than than pretty much anyone else. So it's it's pretty neat, man. And and you talk about so obviously you're very competitive, dude. Like you you, you fish because you love fishing and you and you enjoy the sport. But um, so so you're fishing these tournaments and you're not doing it for a living. You've got your regular job. But you guys are making money like and you're making enough money to where you're probably paying taxes on it and stuff like that. Do you treat like uh, your fishing business sip like like as it's like as a real business? Like, do you have like a business set up? Do you do anything specifically with the money that you make fishing or is it just a uh, like, hey, that's cool. We want a couple bucks, throw it, awesome. throw it in the family account and, uh, you know, buy the kids something extra at Christmas. No, that's absolutely a business, and I learned that from Chris Peebles, who I my last two boats I bought from. Most people don't know him, but um, it's kind of a name from the past. He was a business partner of mine, and actually the best man in my wedding. But you know, he's kind of like, dude, if you're gonna win money, you got to offset your expenses, right? If you yep. if you spend this much on your entries. You know, offset it on um, your expenses to your tackle and your winnings. And, you know, so he helped me figure all that out. So at the end of the year, when I do my taxes, it's not a hobby, but it's a business. And, you know, in the good years, if you win a boat or something, you know, it's, it's it's all about taxes, not owing the government, right? At the end of the day. Oh yeah, dude! I just did my taxes this week. Yeah, Freaking you're the same way. I mean, you're the same way. I mean, you got to have every gas, every hotel, every food. Oh yeah, you know, kind of figure it out. And I've been doing that the my whole career because I mean, it's the way to do it. Because otherwise, you get taxed on the. But it's reality, and I mean, you spend the money or you you get the money. It's you know one or the other so makes sense um so one other unique thing about uh you know kind of the style of fishing that you do dude is um you don't even have live scope on your boat right now and this might be something that's kind of refreshing to some listeners because live scope comes up a lot on every podcast everything it's just a hot topic these days it's really become such a big deal in fishing overall but uh and there's really, you know, it's not like you're a live scope hater. We talked about it before. You know, you're not going to hate on me because I use live scope and stuff like that. But you don't have it, dude. Why have you not added it to your boat? And uh, how are you still having success without it? Well, this is where I wish Rob was here because I'd ask him the same thing. He's got it, dude. He's all in. Now he is, but 30 years ago. Sure. He, he didn't, didn't have exist. it, right? <laughs> And he went to Lake Mead and he won a BASS Open, right? Yep. And he was using night everyone's butt locally for years and years, fishing off his instinct. Now, Nick's right. He was live bait fishing, dude. He's Absolutely, not here, so dude. it's time to out him right now, dude. He was Minnows a live and bait night crawlers. Fishing. Yep. No, I get it. I mean, it's now. It's the thing. And, and there's no doubt that, I mean, life scope is... Like I, I said at Patagonia, the guys, Wingy and I were doing it, right? 
There's a lot, and dude, that's crazy because that's the last lake that you would. So for anyone listening that's not familiar with that lake, it's a smaller lake down towards Tucson. But and Dave talked about it earlier, but it is a power fisherman's lake. I mean, the lake is yeah. lined with reeds and tules and never really been an offshore lake at all. But it's amazing to see these tournaments getting knocked down by people using live scope in situations that that you would never expect. I caught one today, guys, on a dang. I had my kids out at Saguaro for a couple hours. I caught one on a wacky rig general in the Thule's that I saw on live scope up in like three feet of water. I swear uh-huh. to God, I saw that sucker awesome. up there and I threw to it and caught it. So anyways, dude, <laughs> it's, I mean, you could use it in a lot of situations, but, but you're not using it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of one of the things, and you know, this more than anybody. It's like, I, I've prided myself on just fishing naturally and instinct and skill or, whatever I learned, because when I grew up, I mean, keep in mind, I just turned 50. So I'm not young like you guys. So back then we didn't have this. And it was just like, we fished off instinct and I, I still do obviously. And I try to buck the trend of the live scope, but then I know what it means. But at the same times I'm like, maybe that will even help me even more what I do. Maybe it won't, but. Well, there's there's definitely a big argument that so many folks are going to, well, and we're seeing it, so many more folks are becoming proficient at fishing offshore and fishing deep because of electronics that it's taken some pressure off of the shallow fish. Now, the pressure, uh, I, I do think that's a thing. Post-COVID, we're watching just fishing pressure across the country just blow up in general. Like, man, there's been a lot of places that I've gone I'm telling you over and over, I hear, oh, this lake was awesome, dude, before COVID. But, man, it's been so hammered the last couple of years. Like, added to as another list of people to be using COVID for an excuse for. But uh, it's, uh, <laughs> that aside, I think it is pulling some fish away from the bank. And that's where, Dave, really, you live a lot, dude. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was it's funny because my beginning of fishing, I was so focused and prided myself on structure fishing and fishing deep but there was some reversal where it's just totally opposite and i mean i i personally feel the majority of the bigger fish live shallow most of the time as loners in the deeper trees and they're not schooling and i don't know i'm right or wrong i don't know but when we go out and we do our thing and we fish for five fish and we get them game over, but we do it and we don't get it. We're last place. So it's man or mouse. You know, I love like it, dude. My favorite movie, three amigos. I, I quote it all the time, but <laughs> that's cool. Dude. Thing. Most people don't fish like that. It's just really neat, man. It's, it's a, you know, you're one of the last, last of the Mohicans dude that, uh, that fishes like that it's it's really cool go ahead nick and so that i wonder dave if you catch a, a lone wolf sitting on a deep tree in the back of some forgotten crevice on a lake that's decently sized and then you haul it to a weigh-in and a fish that's older and larger it'd be crazy to put a tag on that and see if that thing makes the trek all the way back or if it becomes a you know, a main lake cut fish that lives on a, you know, just be crazy to think that, you know, 
it's been there for so long. I wonder, I wonder what it does next. Delayed mortality. Yeah. Yeah, I think it goes to the middle and dies. I'm just kidding, dude. (laughs) So I have two comments. The first one I'm going to make, which makes sense, which was when Josh and um, his ex guy. Yeah, me and Tommy, dude. You and Tommy on an island. Dude, yeah, this was a crazy story. Five something pound smallmouth eventually got it on a little one inch white grub or something like that. Yep. After fishing forever and let it go. And then Greg, my partner fished that tournament with somebody else a week later. And I told him where to go. And that square, I mean, it's the same fish. I mean, it was like at that time there were five pound smallies in that lake. We weighed this fish. 5.6 something, right? Dude, Mm -hmm. we caught this fish off a stump on an island in the middle of Roosevelt Lake, okay? Five-pound smallmouth. We waded in at Windy Hill, five miles away, and I told Dave about it, and Greg went back and caught that sucker off a bed in a tournament the next weekend. A week later, almost like .01 or .02 difference weight. Just when it burned swimming back, dude. There's no way it's not the same, right? I mean... (laughs) <laughs> it would be a miracle if it was a yeah. different fish. Yeah, that I mean, that was insane. It really was. Yeah, There's and I fish. had the same thing at Patagonia once where I, back then we had big fish tournaments where it was only a one fish deal. Big fish only. So first, second, third place. And I caught a five, six off a of bed one week, right? A week later, I went back to the same bed and I caught a fish that was a five six, and won that. So I'm like, is that the same fish? I mean, how? Like, what are their their honing skills? You know, how do they know where to go? But it was yeah, unbelievable, ironic that I caught a five six off the same bed one week, two weeks later, and won both tournaments. So those are both beds, and it's a real interesting question, yeah. Nick. And there's probably not one set answer on what they do, but God, dude, it's some of the most interesting. It's the it's one of the most interesting topics in bass fishing, especially tournament fishing, if you ask me. It is, and like you think of like so, Dave has just talked about like the reversal from offshore structure, potentially schooling fish to like targeting like a, a type of bass that maybe is in like the 15 percentile where the 85 percentile behaves differently. So then you just wonder like, well, does that fish just magically become social and decide to like school up and eat shad in 35 feet of water? Or does he swim all the way back and eat one gizzard shad a week that swims by his tree? Right. It's like, uh, it's cool to think about. Like I, I guess, cause I'm not uber competitive and I'm not a talented tournament angler. I use my small brain to think about random stuff like that. Cause it's just, it's interesting. You know, it's like, it's, it's a cool thought. I definitely have seen, uh, and I really think firmly as a general rule fish school by size, because they, uh-huh. because they are interested in a specific type of forage that makes sense for them as a fish. You know, 100%. I mean, a one pounder is going to eat one pounder food and a seven pounder is going to eat seven pounder food. And then so you do have, for sure, schools of big fish eating big bait. They can be pretty hard to find, obviously. But like what Dave is is talking about is a pretty unique scenario. But I agree. Like, I mean, it, 
and I I don't I think probably lakes all around the country you've got big rogue fish you know even smallmouth fishing when you get to those northern lakes very rarely are you going to catch like a six pound smallie in a school you'll catch They're real a, territorial too right like they'll post up on like good. one spot and they'll like be on the best boulder address. you know like yeah. you might have a you might have a reef and there's a certain part of that reef that's got a school of bit of, of three to four pound big smallmouth but you're going to catch that six twenty five on a isolated boulder all by itself kind of not right in the middle of that school right do, uh -huh. do you see that a lot in your fishing dave oh absolutely i mean i want to make this sound the right way but it's kind of like we refer to my mother-in-law <laughs> like we want uh -oh. one of hers out there by herself this big by herself you know woman female we want five of hers you know nice hates so hates hates the female hates males hates life <laughs> hates everything about the world but there she is on this the, the biggest tree by herself and that's her tree and you know let's catch five of hers <laughs> yeah there you go it's the eric church bad mother trucker song we want the bad that's mother right, trucker man. who's out exactly. there just nice. doing her milk run nice yeah that's yeah, that i mean i referred it to her earlier when we had that 25 26 pound bag and it was like, I'd go and like all these wispy trees, we're in the salt. There's those little nothing stick ups and a big ass tree out of nowhere. And I, I told Greg, I was like, the biggest fish live in the biggest trees. And I make one pitch, it sinks for like a second, stops. And it was like, that was the beginning of it. It was just like, it was kind of a comical thing. The biggest tree has the biggest fish. Well, it's just they're dominant, boom, boom, boom. dude. They're they're the yeah. dominant they, fish. They know. Yep. Dude, if you pull up to a spot, whether it's a boulder or a bush or a tree or anything, a laydown, and you catch a one point uh one and a half pounder on your first flip, you can just keep on going. Because there, <laughs> there ain't no five pounder there, I promise. Sitting underneath it. That five pounder is gonna be in the perfect position and he's gonna get your bait first, or she's gonna get your bait first. And if, if, if that doesn't happen, there's not a big one there usually, um, dude, that's pretty interesting. Let's, uh, so dude, I've known you for so long. I know, I know a lot of your funny stories, uh, you know, but there's a lot that I don't know. You talked earlier and we didn't bring this one up when we were on the phone earlier, but you talked earlier about your early days fishing Patagonia. And I remember fishing a night tournament with you, just telling stories back and forth. And you told me about this dead fish that you guys came upon see if you remember this this dead fish you guys came upon when you were night fishing at patagonia do you remember the story oh of course yes <laughs> one of the nastiest things ever dude i'll let you tell the story my god that was just like we're just going down the lake at night and you see like something dead right and it's arizona it's southern arizona it's hot as can be and there was this white, huge bass, like huge, but of course they're blown up with like scales, like floating off of it. And I'm like, I don't care about, I want to check it out. You know, is it a five or is it a 10 pound or a 50? You no, know, like how big is this thing? So I go up to it and I lean over to pick it up and I fall in the lake right into this thing <laughs> and it was like 
<laughs> it was disgust. Like I can't even explain how gross it was. <laughs> and the fact that this thing was just like permitting in the air for how many days, right? Did it just <laughs> flake <laughs> apart when you landed oh, on it? Uh, it was like, yeah, totally. Like a million pieces. <laughs> and now I gotta come up and breathe, and this shit's in my mouth. And uh, uh, it was just like disgusting. Yeah. And then trying to get back in my boat, you know. Oh yeah, Amazing. I can't believe you remember that. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. Whenever well, you see you... something huge and dead, I always feel like someone should poke it just to see what would happen. But I think falling on top of it's even better uh, than popping it and seeing all the. Face- Face first, too. I was like disgusting. <laughs> I saw this is horrible and it's taking a turn going down the wrong road here. Yeah, but it. I was going, driving Josh. through Texas uh, a couple years ago and there was a big giant deer that had gotten hit and it was all bloated and huge. <laughs> and uh, it was on the side of the road, you know. And someone had taken the time to stop and tie a bunch of happy birthday balloons to its foot. <laughs> dude, i don't know what it was why that was so funny to me oh my god dude i laughed by myself in the truck <laughs> that's Anyways. what those long drives do to your brain yes man. yes yeah it doesn't take much at that point but uh yeah i thought that was funny <laughs> dude uh we got to hear your your story uh fishing with kevin van dam man yeah so that was interesting what year was that you- 2003 we looked it up dave signed up as a uh a boat a marshal for this tournament right that was before marshall so it was more like a top 150 or top oh no you were co-angler you fished a co-angler yeah i fished and it was like cool man first time they came out west and they had delta first clear lake second so i was like man how fun is that going to be? I'm going to co-angler. I'll sign up. And I'm not sure, Josh, is it is it a lottery now for Marshalls, or is it you sign up, you get in? I think you sign up and you get in. I'm not yeah. 100%, but I'm pretty sure that um, they have just about the right amount, usually at most tournaments. So back then, it was kind of like you signed up and prayed you got in. Wow. Because, I mean, you're fishing. You're not just sitting there watching That's you just guys. it, yeah. You're like a tournament. Just like a triple A or a non-boater kind of deal. So I signed up for both and I got picked for both. And then I'm like, sweet man, I'm going to go as a non-boater to the Delta I've never been to. Clear Lake I've never been to. And I get to fish with all my heroes, you know. And keep in mind by then I've already done crazy success, but no one knows and I don't care. Like, I just want to go. And I was like, I'm going to be gone for a week and a half or two weeks because it's back-to-back tournaments, right? Because they're side by side. So I plan my schedule to arrive there at the Delta at the end of their second pack practice day, which means they had one practice day left to go. Okay. So I check in my hotel. I'm like, okay, these guys should be getting off the water soon. And so I I drive down to the launch, the ramp, and I pour myself a drink. And I'm just sitting there waiting for everyone else to get off 
of their practice, which is their day two practice. And the first guy gets off is Tom Mann Jr. Which do you know much with? Oh Tom? yeah, I know the name. Yeah, for sure. I've never met him, but uh, he was a big deal. Yeah, back then, and he's by himself. And my whole point of being there was, hey, can I practice with someone sure. on your third day? Because you know, let me practice, help or whatever. So he pulls up, and I know him. And he actually has a boat wrap back then. Not many people had wraps back then. Because this is what, 03, right? Yeah. Yep. Which is what, 20 years ago, dude. I mean, that's crazy. So he pulls up, and I'm not going to ask him directly, but I ask him indirectly, like, hey, I'm here as a non boater. Do you know anyone who wants to practice the last day, you know, before you know, the tournament starts? And he's like, oh, man, sorry, man. I, I got someone tomorrow. He's like, but do you have a, you know, how to back in a boat? I'm like, yeah. He's like, here, he throws me his keys. <laughs> Help me right like, now, anyways. What? Yeah. I'm like, oh, what? He's like, there's my boat, my truck right here, my trailer. Can you back in me in? I'm like, oh my gosh. So I walk up to the ramp, you know, to this parking lot, get his truck, back him in, pull him out. And I'm like, that was kind of odd because he was just like, get my stuff, you know. Thanks a lot, man. See you. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, see you again. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I asked two or three other people. And I'm like, okay, this isn't going to work. So I call my friend Rich up, which was an ex-school teacher of mine, which I fished with for years. And I'm talking to him on the phone. And I was like, oh, my God, Kevin Van Dam is pulling up. He's like, I want to hear your conversation. So I put, put my phone speaker. in my pocket. Yeah, I put it on speaker. I put my phone in. And KVD pulls up. Same thing. I don't ask him directly, but I say, hey, man, I'm here as a non-boater. Do you know anyone who needs someone to fish with tomorrow you know, as a partner? And he tells me, I have no one. Do you want to fish with me? So keep that in mind. He asked me, do you want to fish with me? I'm like, I think I'll wait for someone better. Yeah. Nah, actually. Oh, nah. What? And then I turn around and I see that his wife is backing in his rig. So long story short, his wife drops him off during the day, goes to the hotel, parks, disconnects the trailer, has a truck to do their daily chores, whatever. At the end of the day, he calls her. She rehooks up, picks him up. At least at that point, that's what you know, he did. So anyway, she pulls him out of the water, and we have an, a, an arrangement to fish the next day together. So I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to fish with KVD, right? Wake up in the morning, and it's freaking pouring rain. Like, ridiculous rain. And I go to his hotel with my... Dodge truck by itself and he walks out with his rain gear on and I'm thinking KVD I've only known him from his impressions or his persona he's like dude this rain is so bad can you 
use your truck to hook up to my boat so my wife and my kids don't have to get up because the weather's miserable. I'm like, okay, cool. So ultimately, I use my truck to hook up to his boat, and we're going down to the ramp. And I'm like, okay, good. It's just like miserable rain. And he stops me at the at a Krispy Kreme Donuts place. And he's like, stop. Let's get some donuts. <laughs> Heck yeah. Why he's not? Like, oh. I'm like, yeah, what? Let's get some donuts. So I pull in, I park. He's like, no, go go in the drive through. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going into the drive through. He's like, no, go into the drive through. So I'm like, I have my truck, his boat in the drive through. And as you know, every drive through has like that bend, right? Oh, yeah, 99% of them. It just doesn't work. So he's like, order a dozen whatever donuts, and he orders, and I get to that bend, and there's like, I look in my rearview mirror, it's like, there's no way I'm pulling his boat through this freaking, I'm going to take out the order station and everything. So he's like, get out of your, you know, get out of your truck, I'll drive. (laughs) I'm like, okay. He looks at me, he's like, I'm the king of drive throughs and by then, there's like four or five truck cars behind us. So he gets out. He tells everyone to back up, back up, back up, puts it in gear, and makes the biggest bend you've ever seen, literally plowing over all of the shrubs and bushes Landscaping. or whatever. And finally gets through to where we can pay. He's in my passenger side, or I mean the driver's side, and the lady's like, did you just pull your boat through? (laughs) He like tells her, yes, I'm the king of drive throughs And (laughs) pays the donuts. I love it, dude. I was just like, what? And then we get on the lake. So, I mean, I'm going to tell you this one thing, and this is probably the most influential thing that's ever happened to me, which was really one of those moments, you know, that aha moment where regardless of any success I've had or what I've been through, fishing with him was unbelievable. Like I felt like so minuscule and he didn't do it on purpose to like to put me down, but whatever I was throwing, he'd be like, why are you throwing that? I'd be like (laughs) throwing 17 pound, you know, fluorocarbon didn't exist then i was throwing floor you know 17 pound line he's like why aren't you throwing set you know 25 so he would literally take my reels and put on 25 pound line in one of his spinner baits and i was throwing a senko and it was like why are you throwing this on this like he just like didn't literally bit my stuff off and put his stuff on for him didn't you say he took your spinner bait and say he says let me see that and you showed it to him and he cut it off and threw it in the lake yep (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> then he's like, let's look for beds. He's like, stand on the on my deck of my bed, you know, on the deck of my boat. So I'm standing up front and he's going to these, all these sloughs and all these canals. He's like, tell me when you see one bigger than three, you know, three pounder or whatever. And I'm just like, oh my God, he's trusting me with like his tournament. So I would point this out, point that out. And then the next slough, he's like, you drive my boat. I'll stand on the front. So we did that like all day. And 
I don't know how much you guys know about the rules, but like a year or two later, they outlawed that because I don't think they allow that anymore. Like it was yeah. up to the pro to figure it out no one else, but yeah, back yeah. Then, it was illegal. And I'm, I was literally like, Oh my God, I'm driving his boat and he's trusting me to tell him where the fish is or where they're not. So it was just, it was cool. Yeah. Cool day. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's definitely to be in that situation, man, most people don't get that. And uh, a practice day is different than tournament day too, right? Like you were there, he's talking to you, you're going through all the different scenarios together, where it's like even now a boat official gets in, in his boat and watches him do his work, and it's amazing. But it's just a different scenario, man. Like to, it's the fact that he rolled up and invited you on his boat is so cool. And uh, he treated you like, one of his buddies, right? And you guys just went and, and put your heads down and did some work for a day. That's that's pretty awesome, man. Yeah, and and you know he's from obviously from Michigan, and we talked about some of our favorite bands. Which he loves Metallica, and oh, back yeah. then, I was the biggest Metallica fan. And you know now I kind of like Godsmack, even though they're from Boston. <laughs> 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 Absolutely, I love I love Godsmack. So. Oh, they're great! Yeah, they're awesome. That's cool, dude. Uh, yeah, I, I'm glad that you uh, that you remember that story and brought it up the other day because uh, I think that's worthy of everybody hearing. Pretty neat, man. It's it's crazy. It's his last season. I've looked up to him. He's been my fishing hero since I was a kid. I'm actually going um, in two days up to uh, Kalamazoo to his hometown. <laughs> Uh, to do, go do seminars with him and uh, Jonathan and a few other people at his brother's store. So, um, you know, not, uh, you know, going to do seminars isn't exactly like my first choice on uh, my week off, but at least I'm going to get to go hang out with them and uh, be around them, which is he's the guest on our next, next episode too, right? He'll do it dude. For sure. <laughs> Who is? Uh, oh no, uh, he's not officially. He doesn't know it yet, but yeah, he doesn't know. It yeah, yet, exactly. We're going to get him and his old team, his old practice partner yeah. back to back. That'd be awesome, man. It's part of a two part series. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the main, main part was today. And then the second part. No week, one tunes so in whatever. for the back half yeah, of anything yeah. ever. Sequel's never as good. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, dude, Hey man, this, this is flown by, man. We we're an hour in, um, Dude, we, we need to get you back on again, especially when Rob is here, because there's a lot that we wanted to talk about that we didn't cover. But um, Nick and I, we better wrap this thing up before our wives uh, come in here and uh, start wrap it up us. for us. So. We know who wears the pants in these <laughs> yeah. marriages. Usually what happens <laughs> in my house is she sends the kids in, you know, so it looks like Smart. it's just the kids. But um, dude, do you have anything else for Dave, uh, Nick, before we let him roll? Oh, man. I mean just on the top thanks for hopping on and talking with us man it's been fun getting to know you uh um as long as i've known you and i obviously don't have the history that josh does with you but uh we've we've been to a lot of fun things i think since we're both kind of buds with josh we've been like to his wedding and bachelor parties and like off the water events as much as on the water and that's just been cool getting to know you and uh definitely look up to the success that you have and You'll you'll forget ten times the information that I'll ever know about local lakes around here. So it's been just been cool getting to know you, man. And thanks for hopping on. Yeah, man, I I totally appreciate the opportunity. And yeah, I mean, there's a million more things we could touch on if people care. If they don't care, but well, no one listens yeah. to this. Just my dad. 
<laughs> yeah, no, well, dude, we a hundred percent, and I got a, a list of things here, so we'll have part two, especially with Rob Band, because I know uh, you guys were both looking forward to connecting with each other. So, uh, you know, as always, trying to get four people lined up is uh, is always brutal. So, um, but dude, it's been great. Um, Dave, is there is there one last thing maybe that uh, at the top of your head, or uh, you know, one last story that that you have teed up, or you want to just save it for next time? Yeah, that's that's a that's a loaded question, I guess. But oh yeah, uh, number one, no, I mean I appreciate our journey together, and where it started, how it got here, and I mean I I live my life through you as far as tournament goes. Not that I want to be no a tournament dude. Angler, <laughs> but Let me I say do. this, dude, and and, and uh, you know Dave is uh you know when I'm back east fishing a tournament. Uh, you know, I stay in touch with my buds and, and, uh, sometimes I get wrapped up in the tournament, but I love Dave because he, uh, is always there to give like real advice and, uh, and it's, it's not sugarcoated, it, but you know, sometimes you could say the wrong thing and put a person in a real bad mood, right? Like kick a, kick a dog when he's down, but Dave will be real with me, but it doesn't make it, it you know. If I do good, he says, great job. That was awesome to watch. And if I if I don't, he's like, dude, you better step step it up tomorrow. Yeah. Get your ass in gear and catch a big bag because you need it. <laughs> and uh, I can <clears throat> I can really appreciate it coming from Dave. So I appreciate that big time, man. Yeah, it's kind of like a – I kind of take that approach from Seinfeld where Kramer, I mean, just speaks his mind. And that's always been my – Living your life after Kramer from Seinfeld. Dude, I don't know, man. Three amigos and uh Seinfeld is pretty good, bro. Yeah, like it it is what it is, and I speak my <laughs> mind and I'm here to pump love you it. up or you know, make you realize where you are. And I mean it's part of I mean, like I'm I'm efficient enough with you and I've seen your inspirational messages when you post them you know at your bow or your boat. And, yeah, I mean you're my bro. Yeah, thanks, so. man. I appreciate it big time, dude. It means a lot. And uh yeah, no, dude, your friendship means a lot. Um and it was cool that you came on because yeah, Dave's not on social media. Um, and, and, you know, uh, there's a lot of anglers uh, uh, around the Southwest that uh, that know you like on a personal level. But there's a lot that don't know you. They just know your name from the tournament standings. It's like, damn, Dave again, Dave again, Dave again. So hopefully uh, some of you guys are listening and uh, you got to know Dave a little bit better here. Um, and again, yeah, we'll get you back on, dude. But um, yeah, we appreciate it hugely. And uh, we will. uh We'll be in touch real soon. Good luck in the rest of the or in the, the tournaments you got coming up this spring, man. Of course, man. Same to you. I love you guys and good luck, man. Take care, bro. All right, man. Have a great night, Dave. Talk to you yeah, soon, you dude. Bye bye.